you have your copy of Scripture, turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, this week we're going to begin a new sermon series on the names of God. And um, I, I don't know if you've ever kind of looked at those, but God gives us names to tell us about who He is and how He works in our life. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you like your name or not. Um, I'm not particularly fond of my first name, uh, Richard. I don't like it, don't use it. Um, made a mistake. I was uh, at the very first church that I was going to be pastor at. We were there in view of a call, and uh, for some reason they kept calling me Richard, and uh, I got tired of it. And so I finally said, Look, stop calling me Richard. I hate it. And three Richards came up from the congregation and said, We're not voting for you today. <laughs> so, but, but here's the thing names used to mean something. People would, were given names for a reason, especially in the Bible. God would give people names to kind of indicate character. Think about Jacob. We hear the name Jacob, and we remember he's a deceiver. God would give people names to remind them of wonderful blessings in their life. Isaac was given the name Isaac because when his mother found out she was pregnant with him at 90 years old, she laughed. And Isaac means laughter. God gave people names as warnings. I feel bad for Jeremiah's kids. Jeremiah had several kids. One of them was named Lo-Am-I, which means you are not my people. And then probably the worst name that you could ever get saddled with was one of his sons who was named Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Richard doesn't sound so bad when you hear that. But here's the thing. Just as God gave people names during that time, he also gave them names to signal transformation. Jacob went from Jacob to Israel. Simon went from Simon to Peter. Saul went from Saul to Paul. And God's names are no different. God gives us these names to help us understand who he is and what he does. His character, his nature. And I love the fact that when you look at the circumstances that God gives these names to the people of Israel, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, He gives these names generally when times are tough and the people are hurting and they need a promise and they need hope and they need an anchor for their soul. And so God gives them a name and says, this is how you can call me and this is what you can know me by. Now, the first name that we're going to get today is in Exodus chapter 3. It's not the first name given. Actually, the first name given to God in the Bible is from the book that was written first in the Bible. It's not Genesis. It's Job. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And the name that Job gave God was my Redeemer. This is not the first. This is not the oldest. But this is the one that God says is special above all other names. It's the name Yahweh. I am what I am. I want you to listen to the circumstances that God speaks to Moses and actually to us as well to, re- to relay and to reveal this I am that I am name. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then God said to him, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. 
Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come out to the, will come out to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and women and the women who lives in her house, articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing. And you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians." Moses has a very unique encounter with God. God reveals his name to Moses at a peculiar time in Moses' life. At this moment, Moses has been in Midian for 40 years, lost in the wilderness. It's a far cry from where he started. If you know the story of Moses, if you go back to to the beginning and understand who Moses is, he has been in the house of Pharaoh. He was a prince of Egypt. He was given away by his parents at birth because the Egyptians were killing the Hebrews and and they wanted to protect their son and they put him in a basket and sent him down the Nile River and Pharaoh's daughter found him. And that's where he grew up. He grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He was celebrated. And then one day it came about that a, a Hebrew came and spoke to him and told him that he was not an Egyptian, that he was really a Hebrew that his parents were Hebrews, that, that he was really born a slave, just like the Hebrews. And it changed everything in Moses' life. He began to identify with the Hebrew people. He wanted to set them free. Even before God had called him to be a deliverer, he wanted to set his people free. And so he tried. And the way that he tried was one day he found an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave and Moses killed him. And I'm sure when Moses did that, he thought that all the Israelites would rise up with him and they would overthrow their taskmasters. But nothing happened. And now Moses was a murderer. 
and he had to flee Egypt. Actually, there was a price put on his head and he became a fugitive. And he began to wander out in the desert, the wilderness. And he was taken in by Jethro's family. He took care of Jethro's daughters and Jethro as a, as a sign of goodwill and thankfulness for what he had done. He brought Moses into his house and allowed him to marry his daughter Zipporah. And then 40 years pass to where we are in our story today. God reveals himself to Moses at a very peculiar time in Moses' life and the people of Israel. Moses had been lost for 40 years. People of Israel had been lost in Egypt for 430 years. We don't really know the relationship that Moses had started with God before he murdered the, the Egyptian and had become a fugitive. We don't know. We know that Jethro was a priest of Midian, but he wasn't a priest of God. So there was some spiritual reality in his life, but he wasn't probably following God. And then God speaks to him. God calls him out of the darkness into light. Now, the good thing about this is that God calls Moses at the exact right time. God is never too early and he's never too late. Now, I know that Moses might have felt that it was late. I know the people of Israel living in slavery in Egypt probably thought it was way too late. They'd been praying to God and asking God to move and crying out to God. He, God says that. But here's what we hear in Scripture over and over again. At the right time, at the appropriate time, at the right time, God does. It was at the right time because Moses was ready to hear. He was ready to listen. And God calls him. Now, you look at this and it says that he was tending the sheep. He was out by himself, probably pondering his life and what went wrong and why him and God, where are you? And all those questions that we have in those moments. And God speaks. It says, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said to himself, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. So this is an amazing reality. God calls him at the right time because when he was born, his parents had been told. His parents had been told to protect him, to watch over him because God had plans for him, that he was going to be God's deliverer. And now God's putting that plan into action. So God calls Moses over to the burning bush and begins to speak to him. And before he speaks to him, here's what he tells him. Don't come too close. Be careful. Be careful how you approach me. Don't come too close, for I am holy, and this is holy ground. And the more that he spoke to Moses, Moses began to recognize that this God isn't like the gods that he heard about in Egypt. And he began to hide himself from God. And this conversation ensues where God says, I'm going to send you down. I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm going to send you down to deliver them. And this great conversation where 
Moses begins to ask the important questions. Who are you? Who am I? How am I going to do this? God's nature and his character has a massive impact on who we are. God begins to speak to Moses, and here's what he tells him in verse 10. He says, therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that you would send me to do this? And God says, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship me on this mountain. And then Moses says, behold, I'm going to see the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name, and what shall I say to them? Basically, here's what Moses is saying. Who are you? Who are you? What kind of God are you? And both of those are great questions. See, the reality is we, we think of Moses and we think one of this wonderful, powerful, faithful deliverer of God, but that's not always who he was. Moses has grown up in an Egyptian home. He's been taught the Egyptian gods. The Israelites have lived in Egypt for 430 years. All they've heard about is Ra and Isis and Osiris and all the Egyptian gods and their powers and their wonder and their glory. And here's what Moses says. If I go back to these people, they don't know who you are. And I don't either. Who are you? What kind of God are you? Now, here's the thing. As Moses begins to ask those questions, he's really revealing the problem. It's not who God is. It's who he is. He says, who am I? And isn't it funny that when we don't know or understand God, his nature, his character, and his power, that it makes it difficult to understand who we are? Moses didn't know who he was because he didn't know who God is. Moses didn't understand the, the calling that God was placing on his life because he didn't know how powerful and wonderful and amazing that God is. And so as God is introducing himself again to Moses and teaching him about who he is, here's the question, who are you? What kind of God are you? And then who am I? Listen, if you're trying to figure out who you are, you will never figure out who you are until you figure out who God is. You'll never understand the purpose that is, 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 is on your life and the meaning and value that you have until you understand who God is. Because here's the reality. God created us in his image. And until we understand who he is, we will never fully understand who we are. So here's the struggle that we find ourselves in and trying to figure out who we are apart from who God is, we always struggle with overestimating or underestimating who we are. We either overestimate who we are and think that we have more power and more abilities and more things that we can give to this world than what we really do, or we underestimate and say, I have nothing to offer. I am useless and worthless. And it isn't until we are anchored in who God is, his nature, his character, his power, that we can truly be who we are. And so here's what Moses says. Who am I and how can I deliver these people? How, how can I do this? How can I bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Well, here's the thing. God never asked him to do that. 
God was sending him to Pharaoh. God was sending him as a mouthpiece, but God had said in the verses before this, I am coming down to deliver. I have heard the cries. I have heard the prayers. I have seen the oppression and I will deliver my people. He never asked Moses to do that. So how did he answer Moses? He reveals who he is. Moses says, how? How can I bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And here's what he says in verse 12. God says, certainly I will be with you. Moses, you're not going to do this. I am. So Moses says, who are you? What kind of God are you? Who am I? And then he says, what should I say? Think about the weight that God was giving him to go to speak to Pharaoh, to go to speak to the people of Israel, to tell them that God's about to do this amazing and wonderful and powerful thing in their life. And now he's standing there going, I don't know what to say because I don't know who you are. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like God has called you to go to speak into someone's life and you're standing there going, I don't know what to say? I don't, I don't know what to give them. Well, God's going to give you the words that you can begin to give people from now on because he does that with Moses. Verse 13, Moses says, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name, and what shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And he says, furthermore, tell them that I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, you may not think that the I am name is that great of a name. He says, well, you're going to tell, what do I need to tell them? And God says, tell them I am who I am has sent them. Tell them I am has sent you. And the reason this name doesn't resound is because it really doesn't translate in English the greatest way. Here's what he's saying. I am everything that you need. I am hope. I am joy. I am peace. I am forgiveness. I am faithfulness. I am honesty. I am power. I am deliverance. Everything that you need in your life, I am. And I think that's probably the greatest answer that we can give to anyone when we begin to think, what do I tell them about God? How do I explain to them, God, you say, I am. Because he is everything that you need. So he tells Moses that this is the name, the name to remember him by. It's a memorial name. It's a name that's a forever name. This is the name above all names. Of all the names that we study, except the ones that we're going to hear about with Jesus, of all the names that we study, this name is higher. It encompasses all the other names. And so here's what he says. I want you to teach this name to them for them to remember, to teach to other people. And that you constantly pass this name down. I am. So here's what he tells him. And that I am and that I am. He says, I am holy. I am different than any God you know. 
Because when Jesus begins to, or when Moses begins to approach God at the burning bush, God says, whoa, stop. I am holy. The place that you're standing on is holy. Take off your shoes and show respect and honor. See, that was not what Moses was used to with the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt didn't care. The gods of Egypt were not holy. The gods of Egypt were lazy, capricious. They changed their mind on a whim. One day they loved you, the next day they hated you, and there was no reason why. They were angry. They were selfish. They were uncaring. They were distant. And this is the kind of God that that Moses understood. And here's what God is saying. I need to completely change and correct your understanding of who God is. And here's the first thing you need to know. I am holy. I'm different. I'm different. I'm a God for you to respect. I'm a God for you to fear. You cannot approach me any way that you want to. See, that was the thing about the Egyptian gods, and unfortunately, that's the thing about our idols and gods in America. We can just approach them however we want to, and they don't care. They don't care how we live our life. They don't care how we treat our neighbors. They don't care what we do behind closed doors. They don't care how we live. And here's what God is saying, I care about all those things. A couple of weeks, we're gonna hear that God is our sanctifier And he says, be holy as I am holy. Now, here's the thing. We don't live in constant fear of God because God has delivered us from sin by Jesus. In fact, this is what gives Hebrews 4, uh, 12 and 4, 16 such power is that because we now are in the the grace of Christ and the blood of Christ have been shed over us, we can now approach the throne of grace In fact, it says, blow open the doors, boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help and grace in your time of need. Doesn't change the fact that God's holy. What changes is that we've now been sealed by the blood of Jesus and we can approach God without fear that we're not gonna be destroyed. So he says, I'm holy. Then he says, I am the God of your father and the God of your people not the Egyptian gods. Can you imagine living in a culture that is so saturated with all of these false gods and false alternatives to the one true living God? You should, because that's the culture we live in today. And so here's what God tells to Moses. I am I am who I am, and the who I am is the God of your father, your real father, not Pharaoh, and the God of your people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the one true living God. You have to throw out all the things that you've heard about the sun God and the moon God and the river God and the crop God and all the other gods in the land of Egypt because they aren't God. I am your God. He says, I am who I am and who he is. is he's, he says, I am the personal and caring God. Aren't you thankful 
that the creator of the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords is a personal and caring God? How bad would it be for us if he was just like the Egyptian gods, distant, uncaring? Doesn't matter what's happening in your life. He doesn't care about you. All he cares about is give me some more sacrifices. Give me some more prayers. Give me some more praise and then maybe I'll do something for you. That's the Egyptian God. And so God is speaking to Moses, telling him who he is so that Moses can go share that with people who desperately need to hear it. That Yahweh, the I am, is a personal and caring God. How do you know that? Well, when God called Moses to talk to him, did he say, hey, dude, come here. Did he say, hey, hey, stranger, stranger, I need you to come over here. What happened? He called him by his name. God knew him intimately. God knew him personally, even if Moses didn't know him that way. He's personal and caring because here's what he says. I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their desperate cries. I've seen it. I've heard it. I'm a part of it. And then he says, I have come down to deliver. God is not distant God doesn't sit on his throne in heaven and say, I hope you guys can figure it out. I hope you can make the best of a bad situation. He says, I have come down. I love the foreshadowing of this. He's speaking to a deliverer to go to deliver his people and saying, I'm coming down. It's a foreshadowing of the day when he actually does come down. When he actually takes on flesh and delivers us, he becomes the great deliverer that Moses promises in Deuteronomy 28, 15. I have come down. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't create some new being. He comes down. But the problem is Moses misses that. Moses says, I don't have the resources. I don't have the talent. I don't have the ability to do what you're asking me to do. And the realization is God was not asking him to do it. Here's what he was saying. God says, I want to work in you and I want to work through you. See, when we start to understand who God is, his nature and his character and how he wants to work, we stop saying stupid things like, God, I can't go. God, choose someone else. There's got to be someone better for the job than me. And the reason I say that is because I've used all those excuses. Because I didn't, like Moses, I didn't recognize what God wanted to do. When God called me into ministry and sent me out to serve, that's what I said, I can't go. You don't know what I've done. You know how much I've messed up. You don't know how broken I am. You don't know how how scared I am. And just like Moses, I missed it. Here's what God's trying to say to all of us. I have come down and I will go with you. 
I have come down. I'm going to do the saving. I'm going to do the work. I'm just going to go with you, and I'm going to do it in you and through you. So he tells Moses, I am with you, and I will always be with you. He says, certainly, certainly I will go with you. What God is saying is, I am always there. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I'm always there. Now that's both a scary and comforting promise, isn't it? It's scary because when we're in those places doing those things that we don't want anybody to know about, those things called sin, when we're letting sin run rampant in our life, guess who's there? God is. And in those moments when our sin has caught up with us and the consequences have come and we need to be rescued and delivered, guess who's there? He says, I am always there. And he tells them that he's worthy of worship. I am worthy of worship. The promise that you know this is me is that when this thing is done, you're going to bring the people back here to this mountain and you're going to worship me. God is worthy of our worship. And here's a little tip. When he says that he's worthy of our worship, it's not what we do here on Sunday morning. It's not the style of music that we sing or we prefer. When he says that I am worthy of worship, what he means is I am worthy for you to live a life that honors and glorifies me every moment of your life because that's what worship really is. We have confused worship with gathering together as a people and singing some songs and praying some prayers and hearing a boring sermon and going home. Worship isn't here. Worship starts out there. Worship starts the moment you leave this place and put into practice what God has been speaking to you today. That's worship. All that's good. All that's great, but I'm sure that the people of Israel, when they would be hearing this message later, were waiting for him to say a, a magic word. Don't fret, God doesn't leave it out. Verse 17, so I said, I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt. I am your redeemer. I am your deliverer. God speaks to Moses and he's calling Moses to deliver him, to redeem him out of the lost wilderness that he's in in his life to redeem him from the murder he committed, to redeem him from his being a fugitive, redeem him from living 40 years with no purpose, to go send him with the message of redemption to a people who are in literal slavery, to say, I will redeem you. But he doesn't just redeem. Look at what he does. 
is that I'll redeem you out of the affliction of Egypt and, in verse 17, take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. I am your redeemer. I will deliver you from your slavery and I will deliver you into a land of blessing. It's the same promise he gives us today. I will deliver you out of your slavery to sin and I will deliver you into a land of blessing, relationship with me, forgiveness of sins, new life in Christ, a eternal, abundant, everlasting life with Christ and a home in heaven. And you can assume the question would come up, well, how are you gonna do this? Egypt is the greatest and most powerful nation on the face of the earth. They have the pyramids, they have the Sphinx, they have this massive army, and they have Pharaoh who is a god. Actually, he thinks he's a god. How are you gonna do this, God? God says, oh, you didn't know that about me, did you? Let me tell you. I am the all-powerful and almighty God of heaven and earth. Verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of them. And after that, he will let you go. Later on in Exodus, when the plagues begin to happen, God says that he strikes Egypt with plagues or his miracles so they will know that he's God. Think about that. God is even revealing himself to his enemy because he wants them to turn. He wants them to repent. He doesn't want to do these things to them, but he said this is what's going to happen and they're going to have to do what he wants them to do. So God unleashes these miracles, these plagues into Egypt so even the Egyptians would know that he's God. And the really cool thing, if you start lining them up, Every one of the plagues attacks one of the major deities of the Egyptian people. Striking the Nile, striking the crops, the sun, all of those things, those were major Egyptian gods. And so how does God prove that he's God? Is he strikes down all the Egyptian gods in front of them. And here's what he says. Don't worry about leaving. I will make him let you go. Sometimes we worry, how are we going to get to heaven? How are we going to be set free? How are we going to escape death? And God says, don't worry. I will force sin to let you go. I will force death to let you go. I will force hell to let you go. I will force Satan to let you go. And Christ did that in the cross. He ends revealing himself to Moses by saying, I am able to do beyond all you could think or imagine. Now, you know that I think crazy things as I'm reading scripture, all these crazy thoughts come into my mind. And here's one of the crazy thoughts I thought as I was reading this. And I could imagine myself being in Moses' place, trying to think through all the logistics of taking a couple of million people out of slavery to a place we don't know where we're gonna go. Oh, by the way, they're slaves. Do slaves have property? not a trick question. No. Do slaves have money? Do slaves have food? Do slaves have clothing? 
You can almost imagine Moses kind of adding all this up in his head going, I, I, I can't cover that. Like, great, you're going to set them free. Free to what? Die? How's this going to work? God says, you forget. You forget who I am. Let me tell you. Verse 21, I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus, you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses started calculating all the odds and it's too great and too high. And God goes, hey, I am the one that can do beyond all you can think or imagine. Here's what's gonna happen. On the day that you leave, you're gonna get weighed down by the Egyptians throwing things at you to get you out of here. Before you ever go, I'm gonna provide all your needs. Now, that name would be amazing. This was the only teaching that we got on it, but it's not. The great I am, the greatest fulfillment of who I am is, is Jesus. Jesus uses the I am statement over and over and over again in his teaching. That's one of the reasons the Pharisees wanted to kill him because he made himself one with God, equal to God. And just as we've heard about Yahweh, God the Father, I want you to hear a few statements from Jesus and see if these line up with what you know about Yahweh, the great I am. All of these come from the book of John, and I want to spend just a moment on them. Here's Jesus taking the great I am, speaking to people who are struggling, who are trying to figure out who he is and find relationship to him just like Moses was. And listen to what Jesus says. This is for you. I am the bread of life. You will never hunger and you will never thirst for my presence when you take me into your life. You will never hunger and thirst for my presence and my love and my attention. I am the light of the world. For a world trapped in darkness, I am the light that shines in the darkness to pull you out and show you the way home. I'm the light of the world. I will set you free. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am. That's in John 8, 58, where he is in an argument with the Pharisees and they tell him, how can Abraham believe in you? How can Abraham rejoice to see your day? You're less than 50 years old. There's no way that you could see Abraham or Abraham could know you. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you that before Abraham was born, I am. I am. I am. I am the one and only God. I am the door of the sheep. There is no other way to God except through me. Much like he was doing to Moses, we need to hear this today. There is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. It's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's not the denomination you belong to. It's not rituals. It's not religion. It's not baptism. It's Jesus. I am the door. 
and there is no other. I'm the good shepherd. Right after he says he's the door, he says that he's the good shepherd. And I'm thankful for that because he tells us what the good shepherd looks like in Psalm 23. I'm the good shepherd. I'm leading you to still water. I'm leading you to green pastures. I'm leading you to restore and renew your soul. If there's no peace in your life, all there is is turmoil. If there's no light in your life, all there is is darkness. If there's no freedom in your life, there's only slavery. You're following the wrong shepherd because the good shepherd will lead you to freedom and forgiveness and hope and joy and peace. I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, the beautiful story of Lazarus. And Jesus comes to give hope and the sisters, Mary and Martha, come and said, if you'd just been here, if you'd just been here, you could have done something. And he's like, oh, you have no idea what I can do. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And they say, yeah, yeah, we know. One day everybody's gonna be resurrected. Yeah, 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 we believe that. He said, no. I am the resurrection and the life. And he calls Lazarus out of the grave into life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And he wants to call you out of death into life today. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way to freedom and the only way to forgiveness. And I am the true vine. I'm the only way that you can be truly connected to God. He is the I am. He is everything that you need. So here's a question, or actually here's a statement. Much like Moses, God is calling you today. Now, not as cool as a burning bush, I will grant you. But God is calling you today. It's not a coincidence that you're here. I I always hate when, when we talk about coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you're here to hear this today. God has you here at this moment to hear this. I am calling you into life with me, and I'm calling you on mission with me. God's calling you. So you got to answer the questions that Moses asked. God, who are you? Who is God to you today? Unless he is the personal, eternal, living God that you have surrendered your heart and life to, he's not your God. Who are you, God? He's the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of Jesus, the substitute for our sin that gives us freedom and forgiveness. You got to answer the question, who am I? Who are you? Are you one of God's children that have been adopted into his family because Christ has paid your debt and Christ has set you free? Are you a child of wrath? And what should I say? This is going to sound too simple and too easy, but it's the truth. What should I say? Well, if God is asking you to be a part of his family, you say yes. 
God is asking you to drop all the weight of your past and your fear of failure and all the fears and doubts and shame that you have. And he's asking you to drop those at his feet so he can give you love and joy and peace and patience. Say yes. If he's asking you to become a part of this family, to be a part of God's family here at Central, say yes. If he's asking you to go and serve him wherever he's called you to serve him, whether it be here in Clovis or Africa or somewhere else, you say yes. When God asks, the only answer is yes. So I'm going to pray. And I want you to remember that God is asking, what's your response going to be? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for how you reveal yourself to us so that we may know you better and in turn know ourselves. And I know that you are speaking to us right now. May we say yes. May we say yes to being your child. May we say yes to our burden being lifted. May we say yes to being a part of your family. May we say yes to being used by you. Help us to say yes. It's in Jesus' name we pray.